Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. I just want to ask you a few questions about King George. Yeah? Where does he keep his supply? His... Hey. What are you trying, to get me killed? Come on, Priscilla. Where does he keep it? You know, don't you? You lived with him. You get out of here. Right now. Go on. Get out of here. Get out! So you want to play with knives, huh? Well, you picked the wrong player. No. No, please, look, I didn't mean nothing. Please. Oh, no. No, I'm going to give you another slice to match the one you got from that dog pushing pin. Unless you tell me where he keeps the stuff. No, please, he'll kill me. Oh, all right, all right. He's got a fireplace. It's in a box under the ashes. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh, whoa. I'm Owen Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. We absolutely do, mate. And across four different studios, let's welcome <laughs> Kendall Richardson. Hello, everybody. And making his stunning return to Fred Watch, Ashley Hall. Hello, everybody. Hey. Welcome back, Ash. Ooh, welcome back, me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I welcome myself to you guys. <laughs> and you are welcomed with open arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about you, Ash. Kendall, what have you been watching since our last podcast? <laughs> <laughs> what a segue. Well, smooth. Smooth, smooth. <laughs> yes, well, a film that I recently watched that I wanted to mention is a 2018 drama by the name of Beautiful Boy, starring Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, based on uh, a true story of... A father and son, David and Nick Sheff, and it's based on their books that both of them wrote. One's called Beautiful Boy, the other is called Tweak, and it's about Nick's battle with crystal meth addiction and David's struggling to comprehend uh, his ability to save his, lun- his son's life or not. And it is incredible. It's a beautifully made film, pun intended. And the cast is just simply phenomenal. And Timothy Chalamet was nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance. Didn't win, mm-hmm. but should have because he is just outstanding. It's probably one of the best performances I've seen him give to date. I would highly recommend people checking this out. It is on Amazon Prime. Brilliant. And Ash, something you've watched recently that you'd like to recommend, mate? Well, just yesterday I watched the new Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> Very far away from what Kendall was speaking about. <laughs> But it was phenomenal. It was somehow they made a sequel twenty years later better than the original ones. Wow. wow. And yeah, I know that's a that's a bold statement to make, but yeah. I mean you can you can look up the reviews, they speak for themselves. It, it, the movie's great. The acting in it, Keanu was not playing John Wick for once, which he has not done <laughs> in a very long time. Like even before John Wick was around, he was kind of already playing that character all the time. Kind of the serious action star. Yeah. Kind of got no range at all. But this, yeah, he brought it straight <laughs> back. He was Ted again. It was awesome. That's so good. And um, Alex Alex Winter is his name? The, the other yep. guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was yep, straight back at it as well. He was, he was Bill. It was awesome. Fantastic. Phil, what have you been watching recently, mate? I've just started watching a BBC series called Ghosts. 
And this show is made by the original cast of Horrible Histories. Oh, I can see why it appeals to you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, I've only seen the first episode so far, so I don't really know the full story or anything, but it's basically... These uh, newly wed couple move into an old haunted house and there's these uh, six ghosts who all are trying to haunt these couple, but the ghosts aren't exactly good at what they do. For example, there's a ghost that can push, you know, move objects like a poltergeist who can move objects, except it takes so much effort for him to move stuff that... He's really just moving in like half a centimetre. There's a ghost that can cause cold, but it's not cold enough to cause shivers down your spine. It's just cold enough for you to go, we better find that gap. Uh, (laughs) Better find the draft. So, yeah, it's about these ghosts that are trying to scare these people out of uh, this home. And, of course, with the Horrible Histories cast, you've got ghosts all from the Stone Age through the Second World War, through to an MP from the 1990s, all of whom are just inadequate in life and inadequate in death. (laughs) Sounds like fun. (laughs) And Wayne, how about you? Well, I've finally gotten around to watching Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, a (gasps) very clever murder mystery that plays with all the tropes of of murder mysteries and <laughs> has a lot of fun with it. I was really uh, surprised by this in a really pleasant way in that I think it's the first murder mystery I've seen where we've confirmed the crime at the halfway mark of the film and how it all went down and you're just going, okay, well, this movie's got like about another hour or so to go. Where could it possibly go? But there's more mysteries to unfold and it becomes a very different type of who done it. I thought it was really well made, very mm. clever. I love the performances in this. Just across the board, absolutely lovely. But you'll see why everyone's talking about Daniel Craig in this role <laughs> and why everyone's excited for him to reprise his role as this very curious sleuth. <laughs> yeah. I don't really ben- know how else to describe him. <laughs> Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. I love his name. It's the best. I had a lot of fun with Knives Out, and I highly recommend anyone who enjoys a good murder mystery, who enjoys a good comedy, and yeah. enjoys fantastic performances, to actually source this one out and just, again, have a lot of fun with it. So, yes, two thumbs up for Knives Out for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Beautiful. And what is today's film? Well, mate, today we are reviewing the seminal black exploitation classic, Coffee. Please explain. Seeking revenge against those responsible for her younger sister's heroin addiction, Nurse, flower child, coffee, coffin, Pam Greer, poses as a prostitute to gain the attention of drug pushers so that she can kill them. But when her police officer friend Carter, William Elliott, is attacked by thugs for not bending the law, coffee makes it her resolve to continue her work as a vigilante, going after those responsible for harming her loved ones. Beginning with Jack Hill's 1971 women in prison action drama The Big Dollhouse, Coffee established and solidified Pam Greer as the blaxploitation genre's queen, as well as one of cinema's first female action stars. But Kendall, did you enjoy this serving of coffee? 
Yes, as I enjoy the actual drink, I enjoyed this movie. That is for sure. Yeah, no, this was this was a good film to watch. Just sit back and have a bag of popcorn by my side and just wolf it down, taking in everything on the screen. I say all that. It's not the best best film I've ever seen, but it is enjoyable. There is a lot. There is a lot in this film to enjoy, and I really I have to start with the fact that. Okay, so one of my favorite horror films of all time is not a great horror film by any means, but I enjoy it. Urban Legend from 1998. In that, the wonderful Loretta Devine plays the campus security at the university where all the youths are being slaughtered. And she's badass and she kind of models herself after Pam Greer's coffee. And there's actually <laughs> the opening scene like one of the one of the opening scenes in Coffee is actually in Urban Legend, like the scene where Coffee finally like actually gets up and starts to like she kills the the pusher and then goes after the junkie, and you know she's she says it, it was easy for him because he didn't know it was coming, but it ain't gonna be easy for you because you best believe it's coming. Like they they put that scene <laughs> in Urban Legend, and and Loretta <laughs> Devine is watching it while she's supposed to be doing security work, and she's like saying it word for word and pretending to shoot. <laughs> it's so the fact that like when I saw this scene come up and I was watching it last night, I'm like, oh my God, that's what that's from. I'm Yeah, I was very happy. <laughs> Teenage me was very happy. But yeah, so I think, I think overall the story is really good. It made sense. Everything made sense for me in terms of like character motivations and corrupt politicians, corrupt policemen, that whole thing. I think the big problem for me was just a disconnect between the story and the dialogue. I wasn't a fan of the, a lot of the dialogue. It just felt very clunky. It felt very... I mean, some of it was good. Yeah, I'm not saying the whole thing was bad, but I just... I don't feel like the, what was being said by some of the characters in certain scenes was just kind of... It didn't level up to where the story was for me. But that being said, the film is very fastly paced. Like, it's only 90 minutes long. It does what it's supposed to do, and that's fine. It knows what it is, and it sets out to do it, and it achieves it, I think. But I think the film probably could have benefited from exploring more in terms of Coffee and her character. Like, seeing more of her as a nurse in the hospital would have been really good. I kind of didn't like the fact that, you know, she was she rocked up for a shift, you know, and she's still feeling very conflicted about everything that's going on. But then Carter arrives and saves the day and then they, you know, she immediately, she doesn't even, like, there's no scene of her saying I can't come into work or anything and she just mm. completely drops her her job and, and then, go, you know, goes on the vigilante spree after that, which, you know, is fine. And, I get, and again, that's, the movie's not about her as a nurse, it's about her becoming this vigilante, becoming this powerhouse of a woman, taking down these awful people. And that's fine. But I feel like if you were going to make a movie like this today, which you mm. you, you, you could, you, you wouldn't be able to do everything that's within the film. And that I, I can understand that. But I feel like you would need to kind of exp- not explain more, but I feel like you could add a lot of depth to Coffee as a character and some of the other characters as well with just a few additional scenes on the, these people's lives and, and stuff instead of just having it as kind of sort of a, a shallow face value type look into the lives of these characters. But that being said, it was still really good and really enjoyable. I mean, the action's great. Some of the staging of the the fight scenes was a bit questionable, like with the, Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> when when Carter is assaulted mainly was just it just looked it didn't look great for me but that's that's okay especially because you know he gets he gets beaten with these baseball bats and then the next scene he's freaking like suspended in midair in this hospital bed with like <laughs> limbs and casts everywhere I couldn't I couldn't stop myself from laughing there was actually there was a few moments like that during the film where I just I had to laugh like <laughs> at, at the at the end a few. A few. There's a, well, there's, no, no, there's, there's the scene where Coffee is posing as Mystique, and then, <laughs> which... You mean, you which, mean the guacamole salad fight? Yes, yes, the guacamole salad fight. Um, it's It was so good. It was. It was so good. I mean, and I don't mean good in a good way, I mean good in just an entertaining way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I just loved the fact that leading up to it, when <laughs> the, uh, I've forgotten the name of the character, the you know the the annoying one who who made you know made the first move on coffee and ruined her dress, and then all the women just kind of swarmed oh, on her. Meg, thank you. Yes, <laughs> and then and then as coffee's like excusing herself to get fixed up, <laughs> they're all like, "It's an accident." Like she said, without a doubt, it was an accident. Like just the <laughs> the half assed <laughs> the half assed attempt at trying to cover it up was hilarious. <laughs> At the end, when <laughs> the <w> when <laughs> Coffee drove the car through the the cabin, and <laughs> the one-eyed man's face as he died was hysterical. <laughs> and then when Vitroni jumped in the pool, like he got to the edge of the pool and he he nearly regained his balance, and then he just launched himself into the water. And I was I was I was in hysterics. I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, I also enjoyed <laughs> there was one moment where um they're like panning through King George's penthouse and showing mm. all these good looking, you know, women and what they're up to. And the first one, she's just she's doing her nails and she's just looking at them, considering them, and then she just makes this face like, I regret all my choices in life and I was just <laughs> like <laughs> what? Okay. That was that was an interesting choice. But yeah, there's a lot of little moments like that. Even at the start, the the old couple in the in the weird strip club restaurant thing. There's this old couple. They look so wholesome, and and there's this woman like ten feet away who's like wearing almost nothing and just sultry dancing. I'm like, what is this place? Oh my god, I'm so curious. But yeah, yeah, I have got more to say, but I will save it for the rest of the discussion. Ash, what are your initial thoughts of Coffee? It's one of the best movies ever made, man. <laughs> like. In the same way that The Room is a great movie, you know? <laughs> Ooh, th th them's a fighting word. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the things that Kendall was speaking about, like how, oh, what was his name, Vitroni, jumped, into, jumped yeah. into the pool at the end. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, <laughs> the highlight for me, though, was that cat fight. That has to be the greatest cat fighting in cinematic history. Yeah. But at one point, at one point, Amazing. Coffee pushes a woman who's not even in the way. Like she's not involved in the fight. She just, yeah! her, she just yeah! pushes her out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so it's great. It's like those choreographed fights where someone punches and the guy behind him falls over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the bit um. When I assume they were prostitutes, when they're all just hanging out and the woman mm. takes the phone call and she's talking all like yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> that blonde one with the scabs on her back had me in hysterics. <laughs> 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 the way that she's just talking. 
she's got scabs on her back from doing her job too well. We'll say that. Yeah. And the one who's clean in the scars goes, oh, well, maybe you should get off your back for a bit. And she just looks at the camera and just goes like... <laughs> like like um like the dishwasher in um the Flintstones, it's a living. You know? <laughs> 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 kind of gives this kind of look. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, look, a girl's got to eat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, but yeah, it was all that stuff had me like that's that was the movie for me. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what actually happened in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Philip, what did you make of it? <laughs> I'm terrified to ask, but I, you know, you're a reviewer on a podcast, so I have to ask. <laughs> Look, on on one hand, going into it knowing it was a black exploitation, sex exploitation film, I kind of knew what I was in for because Michael Lister and I actually, when we lived together, used to just watch them like once a week. He was fascinated by those sort of films, especially Ozploitation. Right. Oh, they're great. And so, sort of knew what I was coming into, and I have to sort of agree with everyone else in the sense that it was really entertaining, but I had no idea why. (laughs) (laughs) Because there, there really is no story. There is no substance to the story outside of Coffee wants to avenge her sister. Which is a good story into itself, but again, it le- it, there's no intricacies, there's no in-depth, there's no... It's just... Mm-hmm. W- coffee goes on rampage because sister did some drugs. <laughs> That's what it really boils down to. Well, it's an inciting incident. Well, I, think it, I think there's more to the movie than that, but go yeah. on. Well, well I, I, I found myself, for example... Wanting more from, like for example, you have you have the 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 copper at the start who's the good cop, and Carter. Uh, Carter, and his he gets killed off very early, and that I get is to sort of show this idea that Coffee is alone; she has no one in this in in this to back her up. Because as soon as a good cop... I don't mean to laugh, I'm sorry. I was just thinking <laughs> as... when he got beaten up. It was hilarious. <laughs> I know! Like, one it of them's, like, so... unconscious, and then all of a sudden he just pops up, like like he's spring-loaded or something. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that scene where the cop gets hit by the car, and it's just so obviously a dummy. It's just... Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that is a Monty Python <laughs> dummy that they've thrown yeah. off a roof. Oh, so good. Um, but, but, so, I get that... I get that the idea is that Coffee is alone. She has no one else to back her up. But I suppose for me, I would have liked maybe something with Howard to... Again, they make him the bad guy. One, just another one of the bad guys at the end. And so for me, the, 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 the movie's sort of overall stuff is corruption is bad. Corruption is everywhere. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just go around and kill every, all the corrupt people? Again, I know it's more than that. I know I'm really giving it a, a, a blah, sort of a, a very over-the-top over the um, rundown here. But for me, that's what it boiled down to, that mm. it was... 
corruption's bad and it would be awesome if we could kill all the corrupt people. I didn't get any much more nuance than that. There were little nuanced bits. There were obviously the uh, undertones of the the sex trade. Oh, well, overtones of the sex trade (laughs) and how women are treated within the sex trades, treated as objects, people wanting to, you know, what they'll do for drugs, the whole issue of African-Americans being the ones who are being exploited by various cartels and governments, etc. But I feel it was almost put in... Again, obviously it's not what they openly thought, but it felt to me that it was put in as a oh this is how we justify this movie Mm. obviously that's not what they consciously thought it was not they put that in because they thought no this is this is a serious topic that we need to talk about but for me it's like you didn't talk about it enough if that's a thing just to put some context into it, mm-hmm. so a producer approached AIP, the studio yep. of this movie, to make a film called Cleopatra Jones, which mm. is, as a side note, a really fun black exploitation, excellent movie, right? Okay, yep. Ultimately, though, they went with a bigger studio, I believe Warner Brothers. Okay, yep. To make it instead. So now we've got a studio who's excited to make this movie and they've been left in the loach, right? Mm-hmm. And so then they approach Jack Hill, who's got quite a few films under his belt, and says, okay, we now need to make a movie to counteract Cleopatra Jones. Okay. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. So the studio wanted revenge, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So Jack Hill decided that he was going to make a movie about a black woman seeking revenge. Ah. The producers then said to Jack Hill, make whatever movie you want to make, just make sure you, and I quote, kill the shit out of the two guys at the beginning. And so we have a blown head through a very horrible wig and uh, somebody who is forced to overdose as well. Uh, Poor young Grover gets forced to overdose at the beginning in the bathroom. Okay. So this this is the direction that Jack Hill takes. However, Jack Hill wasn't somebody who engaged with a lot of black exploitation movies. He'd worked with Pam Greer before quite a few times. She was still relatively new to the industry. And he really liked her as a performer and wanted to make Coffee a vehicle for her. So he wrote this movie with Pam Greer in mind and really pushed to have her be the star of this movie. Because, again, while she was in movies before, she wasn't really well known. And Pam Greer herself has said retrospectively, that she based some elements of coffee on her mother. So her mother was a registered nurse or had a lot of experience in terms of first aid and so forth. And because her mother grew up in the Jim Crow era, ambulances wouldn't go to their part of the town whenever anyone needed help or assistance. So her mother would attend two people in her home, essentially made her own little uh, medical practice out of it, I suppose, to just make sure that people were getting looked after. So I think in terms of the depth of coffee, you do have to really look at it because you're right. We don't spend a lot of time exploring these characters, but I argue that what Jack Hill does with this film is he actually explores his characters a lot more than is typically seen in exploitation movies. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. While he does make exploitation movies and did back in the 70s, 
it wasn't like he was, I would say, a connoisseur of them. It's not yeah. like he really sought out black exploitation movies to to see the tropes and so forth. He needed and was appreciative of the help of the cast about, well, you know, what are realistic elements in terms of how black communities have been treated, are treated, how they're lived, what their experiences are. So, for example, when we see Coffee putting razor blades in her hair just mm. before the Guacamole fight. Yep. That was mm. Pam Grier's idea. Uh, and that was something that she was oh. aware of. And same when she's in the, when she's in the sauna, that steam room, the bobby pin getting sharpened as a weapon, that was also from her. Oh, so wow. there are these elements that the target audience, and look, the studio, obviously, was targeting a black audience. This is before they knew what sort of film was going to be produced and how successful it was going to become. They tried to make it quite niche, not really sort of caring about the mainstream cinema-going audience, which at that time was predominantly white. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, look, it is true. Look, this, this film is a lot of fun, and I'm so glad to hear that the initial impression from, from the three of you is... This movie is just so much fun. Well, I hope that's what it is. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. But I do think that there, there, there is more layers to it. And it depends on how much of a close reading you want to do with the film. But what I like about Coffee is that if, just as you said, Kendall, grab your popcorn, kick your feet <laughs> up and have fun with it, you can enjoy it on that level. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's so yeah. many laugh-out-loud moments. And a lot <laughs> of those fight scenes, for example, are designed to be comical. They are designed... Right. For a laugh, like again, yeah. the guacamole scene yeah, you definitely always gets a laugh. That one. <laughs> yeah, but also the scene where Coffee confronts the call girl Priscilla, and then her girlfriend Harriet, yeah. who is framed and shot to look like she towers eight feet tall. That was also played for comedy, and the reason why that. Jack Hill does that is because he didn't have the resources to make it the full-out action scene that he wanted it mm. to be because okay. there weren't any black stunt people back in the day. Oh, that's, finding, that's oh. hilarious and sad. Finding yeah. black crew members was almost impossible. Oh, so wow. what you'll find is the guy who plays King George's chauffeur, Studs, he yep. was actually the stunt coordinator on the film. Oh, wow. huh. But he'd never done that before. This was his first time he had actually done stunt work. So a lot of those fights that are probably look a bit carefully choreographed is because everyone does their own stunts. By memory, the only time that a stunt double is used is where towards the end Coffee is running through that freeway and dodging cars. And that woman there, uh, I believe it was a woman, because generally speaking, again, back in the day, men stood in for women when stunts were involved. But that person there had not done a stunt before either. Because, again, the resources just were not there. The opportunities weren't there for black performers and black creatives behind the scenes and in front of them as well. So it was was less of getting a stunt double and more getting someone that was more expendable. (laughs) Well... But, but like, how could you get a stunt double unless you were then going to do blackface on them? No, well, that's and, it. And, yeah. and color. That, that's literally the only way of doing it. But then wow. it was also an opportunity for Jack Hill to now start creating roles for black people that they didn't have before. Jack Hill himself did grow up, you know, in the 1940s, so intense segregation. But he has a background in music and performed with a lot of black artists. So he has always been involved and been with people in the black community, even 
amongst the times of segregation and civil unrest. Like he's really a champion back then and still is now for the black community in terms of representation. So he, there's a lot of, I suppose, care for him in terms of representation, which we'll talk about later. But really, the woman of the hour is Pam Greer herself. Mm. What were our thoughts on Pam Greer and coffee? Well, I really like her. She has such a great on-screen presence. And not just because she's drop-dead gorgeous, but mm. she just really... I feel like throughout this film... Not consistently, but for the majority of it, she carried herself really, really nicely and fell into the lead role with ease, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you buy her as, as, a, as a lead. You buy her as this action female star. I mean, there are, there are times when her delivery of certain lines just feels maybe slightly off, slightly mm. not, like the wrong intonation may be used, or she's, pl- she's downplaying it a little bit. But the scenes I think she really shines is when she's in full vigilante mode and she's going for it, like the confidence she exudes. I re- was really fascinated by the, f- you know, the fact that, and I, this is why I really wanted to see more of, so she, you know, because early in the film she's having this confliction between what she has done and by killing the drug dealer and the, the junkie at the start of the film, you know, mm-hmm. whether that was the right thing to do, even though she was doing it in the name of her sister and the name of her family, you know, it's awful, but it's admirable. You can understand where she's coming from, but, um, but she seems to then, you know, having these conversations with Carter, just being really struggling with like, did she make the right choice? She wants to tell him, you can see she's struggling with that. But then I was kind of wanting to see more of why, this, this umming and ahhing stuff because, like, there's such a difference between her performance when she's unsure of herself and when she's fully sure of herself and, like, shooting people and and putting herself in these positions of, like, I'm going to pretend to be this prostitute. Like, when she was Mystique, like, Jamaican accent aside, whatever you think of it, it's still entertaining. <laughs> I, I mean... It's so I bad. Mean, it's so bad. It's literally... It's literally a stereotypical Jamaican accent. Like she just puts "man" at the end of every sentence, and it's fine. You buy it. Can I? Can I make a? Can I make a note on that? Actually, I Please. love the idea that it is so horrendous, but King George is just so infatuated by her. <laughs> what do you notice? That this? he that he does not care. But then no. you've got Meg later on, who calls her, you know, phony, and I don't trust her. So it's kind of like. I like that they kind of acknowledge that Pam Greer can't do a Jamaican accent in the yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's pretty good. The movie is self-aware in, in some points. It kind of has quite, to be, doesn't it? It has, yeah. You have to, you, the kind of film it is, you have to make fun of yourself, don't you? Yeah, but I just, I feel like there's such a separation between the unsure coffee and this so sure of herself. And yeah, as I was saying, like how willing she is to like be confident and put herself in these situations, you know, where she's playing a prostitute and where she's like putting herself in a position to, you know, kill Vadroni later on. You don't see any conflict there. And I mean, maybe you don't need mm. to, but but I feel like you should, She she's not, she doesn't show any fear. And maybe that's what I feel like was missing. Like th- that, oh. that would have been a good way, I think, for me to connect the the conflicted coffee at the start of the film with the the rip roar and vigilante we see. 
I think that would make more sense. You do get more of that later in the film when you, you like when she gets revealed that Howard is involved with mm. all of these bad people, and you you see the way she reacts and the look on her face. She's obviously very very upset, very troubled by by what she's seeing and betrayed, and that's really great. I just would have liked more of it throughout the film. Um, could, I, but, could I then maybe ask you, Kendall, and uh, anyone mm-hmm. else can chime in, then just on that note, and this is uh, really out of curiosity, because I have to say, this probably came to me on repeated viewings, not a first viewing, okay. was in terms of Coffee's conflicts. Mm. So we get- You've seen it more than once? Oh, absolutely. As if you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> but for example, we've got that scene where she's making love to Howard, right? And yeah. we have that flashback of her blowing Sugar Man's head off. Yeah. And she's a little traumatised. Mm. She talks to Carter as well about feel like she's living in a dream. And then that gets repeated towards the end when she's got True. the gun pointed at Howard yep. and saying, oh, you know, it, I feel like I'm in a dream. I've just paraphrased that horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see how it affects our at work as well early on, but it almost feels like that after those moments in the hospital and definitely when Carter is all stitched up for getting a clobbering over the head (laughs) with broken limbs everywhere. Yeah. That that sort of then triggers that switch. It's almost like that's the point of no return. Well that's what I was gonna yeah, I was gonna get I was gonna get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, while while listening to you guys talk about this film, like I feel like the fact that uh, it made me realize that Carter is really... It's like what Phil was saying about mm. how maybe there was a, a flimsy motivation. I'm paraphrasing Phil really badly. Mm. But, but like, mm. I feel like Carter is... It's a, you said, like, you know, the sister is mm. the inciting incident, right? Carter yeah. is definitely the moment where she goes... Like, you don't really see it too much on her face. Like, she, you know, you, she's very stoic in that moment when she kind of makes that decision for herself that she, that she has to take action now and no holds barred. But... Yeah, that's really the moment where she's like, right, all these fuckers are going down. Yeah, and do you know what's interesting about that, though? Because Carter is a good guy, but yeah. he is clearly friend-zoned, <laughs> right? Oh, he, yeah. He is in Poor the friend-zone. So I wonder if, and I know that this definitely means we'll be watching a totally different movie, but I wonder if her betrayal from Howard had been earlier, that that would have been the tipping point. But then one wonders, mm. who else is she going going after but it almost feels like the betrayal that she feels from howard in the third act would probably be a more believable tipping point is that sort of what i may be sensing or that the stakes weren't high enough from carter is that what everyone's vibing well i actually and i was going to touch on this earlier i actually would have liked to have seen a lot more with howard and if we're, I won't go into one of the ideas I had just yet, but if we're talking about this sort of the portrayal and all that, really, she's almost about to forgive him because he's like, I love you and all that. And then the girlfriend, this other girlfriend or, yeah. or, or, or hookup or whatever comes out and then she's like, blam. That annoyed me ever so slightly, especially if we're talking in this context because it takes it away from... I'm trying to get rid of this corruption. I'm pissed mm. off with the people who've hurt my sister. I'm, you know, all that sort of stuff to, oh, you lied to me about loving me. You, the, and, and that to me feels like a completely separate motivation. It still mm. works. Don't get me wrong. It still works as a thing. But in terms of the themes of the movie and the show, 
and all that sort of went, oh, so we've got this person who has essentially done become what she never wanted to be. She never wanted to do drugs. She never wanted to be a, a, mm. a, a hooker. And here she is. Okay, she's not actually doing drugs, but she's living a pseudo, that pseudo lifestyle to take revenge on all these people. Mm. And then at the end, the final boss, as it were, the, the, the final uh, hurdle is taken out because of love, which was... Nah, well, is I've, it the, the straw that breaks the camel's back? Kendall, yeah, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Mm. That's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like this is... Coffee's at the end of her rope in that, like, she is beaten, she's bruised, she's bloody, she's confronting Howard. He's trying to talk his way out of it, and I love how she, she acknowledges the fact that mm. that's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, I think there is a part of her that that still loves him and wants wants him to live but you know she she knows inherently that he is corrupt he is not going to change he says he's doing things for the black community but he is only doing it for his own monetary like you know it's he even said it i'm not doing it for the the blacks or whites the the you know i'm not gonna say anyway color different races he says i don't want to use the words he uses um um but um yeah uh, but i'm i'm in it i'm i'm in it for i'm in it for the green you know, he says it to the to the other, you know, Fedroni and and the other the other the other guy. I forget his name. Is it Ramos? I think it's Ramos. Anyway, yeah. But then, like, you know, so she's just gone through all of this, and she's she's probably. I think she was probably going to kill him anyway. And then that was literally just seeing that woman walk out was just the final straw. And on top of that one, the fact that it's a white woman, I think, says a lot. Yeah, I was going to say. I yeah. would argue that. Coffee probably would have shot him in the crutch regardless of the race of the woman, you know, upstairs coming out of the bedroom. But Jack Hill makes a very conscious decision to make it a white woman because then yeah. that's also the final betrayal because he's not in it to support other black people. Because he's saying, look, yeah. people need this fix because we're in a low, you know, low socioeconomics. There's nothing to look forward to in life. So we'll give them the fix because that's what's keeping them happy. So once I then rise to power, I can now fix that problem by providing more opportunities. He is giving his political spiel to coffee. And like you said, she acknowledges it and says, you know, you could talk yourself out of anything. She, yeah. she believes everything he says. He is the epitome of what a politician does. We see that earlier when he's recording that discussion about drugs and about the power imbalance and corruption himself. I mean, I think he's a beautifully constructed politician in terms of the political statement that Jack Hill wants to make about hypocrisy and power and the power struggle, specifically between the haves and the have-nots, if you will. But, Ash, how did you feel about the dynamics of these characters and how they fit into this tangled web? Well, to me, it all made sense. Like, how, mm. how everything kind of unfolded. It was that kind of movie. I wasn't really looking too deep into it. It was just kind of, oh, this yeah. happens. I understand why she did that sort of thing. Like, mm. like yeah, when the revelation yeah. of um, Howard happening towards the end and her flipping out, it all made sense to me. I get it. One thing that I like is that in terms of the, as a three-act piece, in terms of the, the characters and the story, is that at the very beginning, we're introduced to a lot of the main players. We get hints of them. Yeah. Like, for example, the one-eyed henchman there as well. We only see him very briefly, but he's really recognisable. So that when we come back, we're like, oh yeah, okay. And he's made that point about not liking being photographed because he n needs to sort of be in the background. Although when you're wearing glasses like that, it's difficult <laughs> to be in the background, <laughs> right? 
And then we see how some of these characters interlock and how they're all connected in the second act. And then in the third act, it all comes to play because we're given even more meaning to see how they all interact and interlock. I actually think that for the dynamics that are really, you know, it's a a tangled, it's a twisted, it's even a convoluted web of people and how they all lock in. I actually think the way that they're revealed, connected, explored and explained, I actually think is done really well. Like for me, like you said, Ash, for me, it all makes sense. And I like how this web slowly untangles and unravels. But Philip, how did you feel about some of the other supporting characters in Coffee? So I was sort of hinted at it with Howard that I actually would have liked to have seen more with Howard. I would have loved to have seen the intricacies of the fact that I would like to have seen him a bit more on the good side in the sense that maybe instead of just being straight up corrupt politician, he was playing with a world that is messy, that is grey, that is you sometimes have to do bad things to get good results. Mm. Whereas this was just a straight up, and now hearing what the director Jack Hill was going for, that... It is just, uh, everyone's bad except for a couple of people. Hmm. Which is fair enough. If that's the movie you're making, that's the movie you're making. I just would have loved to have seen more of that intricacy of his trying to traverse a world to make a better life for his people, for minorities. But to do that, he needs to play the shady games and make the shady deals. Obviously, that's not what we uh, got. I did also feel that a lot of the bad guys were two-dimensional bad guys. Mm-hmm. That it was, you know, uh, uh, there was no sort of pre-thought into what they were doing. They were just like, "I want money, be bad, to do." Well, so. they need to be dis- they need to be dispensable. Yeah, they? well, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, what, one character I particularly liked, I have to say, is King George, mm. played by Robert Doki. And mm. I love that, you know, you hear about this King George character and then he appears with that theme song, that car door opens, <laughs> and it is one of the most glorious pimp outfits in the world. I love that everyone that, had yeah. a theme song, by the yeah, way. Yeah. It, even when the guy who opens the door sort of gives him this look... <laughs> But I don't know, like, yeah, King George is one of the villains of the story, but I actually think that out of all of the bad guys, maybe we'll take Howard out of this, that he's probably one of the more fleshed out. Because yes. you're right, Phil. Yes. The bad guys are two-dimensional because they they have to sort of just be cardboard cutouts that coffee can shoot, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. at, a, at a rifle range or something. I mean, and that's pretty common even in, in bigger budget action movies. But I like that King George is somebody that I personally don't really know how to feel about because, yeah, he is a bad guy, but when you have those little moments with his relationship with Meg, for example, th- there seems to be something quite genuine that they have this affection for one another. Mm. And we then learn, you know, before their last scene together, that King George is going to cop retribution for something he did not do because Coffee says, like, yes, King George put me up to this because, hey, she's, you know, like, let these guys kill each other. It saves me from doing it because they're all bad guys in her book. And then we've got that scene between them when he's organising the drugs because he thinks it's a client that that needs uh, a hit straight away. 
and Meg's sort of even foreshadowing that something isn't quite right. Don't don't go. Let me look after you. And so we know that something bad is going to happen to him. He gets in the back of the car. We've got Omar and the cowboy in the back seat. Love you know, Omar. And there's that really intense moment where, okay, he's nervous. And then, okay, no, this is all good because uh, Vitroni is going to reward me for Mystique. But they're on different pages in that level. And then he gets really nervous. And then happens a scene that I feel like even though a lot of the violence in this is over the top and, and cartoonish, and one could argue fun because, again, this is a movie that, yes, has political undertones, but they do keep it entertaining and engaging. But King George's death reflects how black people have been lynched in the past, and it mm-hmm. suddenly goes incredibly dark. Again, yeah. we've got that bit of humour, if you will, by the fact that he's going through all these different obstacles like barricades and barrels and the car crashes in the end. But you can't escape the undertone of what that is referencing to. Yeah. And Mm. I think this is probably, even though it's very in your face, it's a bit more of a subtle nod to the political statement that Jack Hill wants to make. Even though I think it's Omar who does say, this is how you lynch someone. But I don't know, like that scene for me, I feel more than 40 years later, is confronting, I feel. Yeah. And I think that when a a good director knows how to balance the humour, the flamboyancy of an exploitation movie, but then really go for the jugular as well. So I think for me, that also makes King George a more likeable character because, yeah, okay, all the bad guys should die, but that has such a dark undertone oh yeah um, you know, yeah and, and because it's ordered by somebody who is not black as well and yeah. actioned by people who are not black and studs is there in the front seat not mm. driving this time but is helpless because he has to look after his own life it's yeah I, like I, I, I don't think i'm reading too much into it but for me it's it's a really significant moment in what the movie's message aims to be so i feel like Again, Jack Hill could have just made any shoot 'em up movie, but I feel like he's really trying to put a commentary here. And I think it's probably one of the things that I like about exploitation movies is because they're just made on such short budgets, such small budgets, yeah. limited resources, limited time frames, that there seems to be a lot of effort put into it, like more care, because you don't have time to play around. But, yeah, did anyone else have any comments about some of yes. those bad guys? Yeah, Kendall, go for it. Well, well, just, just to piggyback off your your statement there, it kind of calls to mind Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Yeah. Um, I mean, which is obviously heavily inspired by the black exploitation era and the incredibly powerful movements that were taking place during the 60s and 70s. Also, sidebar, it's a fantastic movie. If mm. you haven't seen it, watch it. Absolutely. Um, but it it really just made me think what you said there about how like this film coffee is yeah it's there's so much going on with it thematically but there is also these attempts at comedy throughout that obviously work and and or unintentionally funny but then you get this one scene here that is just so confronting even like and will always be confronting that really just adds this darkness to it and Black Klansman is similar in the mm. way Spike Lee tells his story the way he wants to tell it he puts these comedic moments in the film throughout and it's hysterical you're laughing your ass off and then the film ends with 
showing the Black Lives Matter movement and showing people dying for it. Mm. And it really grounds you in reality. And that is exactly what this scene kind of does. It's exactly what Jack Hill has done, just trying to make this statement of reminding people that, yeah, well, this is a fun shoot-em-up action slash comedy maybe film that, you know, you're going to have a good time watching. This is a big issue that we're addressing in this film. And it does, it takes you out of it a little bit because I, I mean, I, I get what, what they're trying to do with the, like, you know, him slamming through the, like, the road work barriers and all that mm. stuff. I'm like, but I wasn't laughing. No. I couldn't. No, I, was, I wasn't either. I, I, I was, yeah, I was like, no, no, I can't. I, this is, I was and, and just the fact that. It was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, so, you, so you found the humor in it actually? yeah I didn't see any of what you guys were talking about at all I just thought it was hilarious okay. it's just getting smacked yeah, so through was, all these things it was so funny so, so for you it was sort of aligned with the other fight scenes and violence in the film so the yeah. balance was right for you yeah it yeah, was that's, just ridiculous that, that's, a, that's a fair observation yeah, yeah and, and um, to top it yeah. off you had um, Sid Haig playing Omar and just commenting yeah. over the top of it the whole time just everything he's saying yeah. was hilarious Oh, Sid yeah. Haig is amazing. Yeah. I have to say, he's great. Yeah, he's yeah. such a great performer. <laughs> I was, I was really happy when I was when the opening credits were going, and I'm like, I, I think Pam Grier is going to be the only person I know in this film, and then Sid Haig's name came up. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I know him. Yeah, he was. Yeah, in terms of like the other the villains and stuff, I I, I can't really say too much that hasn't already been said because I kind of agree that yes, King George is definitely the best mm. of all the villains, the most fleshed out, the most complex. A step above Howard. They could have done so much more with Howard, I think. But I really love Sid Haig's performance as Omar. It was a lot of um, fun. Like, he's... It's a lot of fun. He's hamming it up. Yeah, he's having he a great having time. A yeah, he was. And I and I don't really see the harm in that. He does what he's supposed to do in the film, and he kind of elevates it. When he's on screen, like, I think you're, you're focused on him. I think he gives such a great performance. Yeah. And I, yeah, and Omar is such a, such a great kind of henchman, I think. Yeah, definitely. But the rest of the villains, yeah, they're kind of... I mean, even Vadroni is kind of nice in the fact that, like, he has such a friendly face. Like, he doesn't look... Like, (laughs) I don't know what it is. He doesn't... He's not intimidating in the slightest, but yet he's the head of this big drug-dealing crime syndicate. And, you know, which is, is fine. But, like, he just... You're kind of, like, in those moments when, you know you're supposed to like hate him or fear him or anything you and he's like just he's talking to coffee he's like i'm not gonna kill you i'm not gonna hurt you i don't want to do this i'm like you 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 believe him because he just doesn't seem like that kind of person but you know in the back of your mind like well maybe he's not true he's just very convincing but like there's just i don't know unless that's what they were going for intentionally of him being this character that's like you know unassuming unassuming just a, a clueless kind of villain but like Nice, I guess. I don't know, but yeah. Well, there is. Really... Yeah, I was going to say there sorry. was. No, sorry. no, sorry, Kendall. There, there is this. There is this undertone with Vitroni that before we sort of get to know him as well, you know, the, the girls up in the penthouse are talking about him because that blonde girl there is getting bruising, um, being taken care of, and they yeah. talk about Vitroni as well because of what he's into and 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 what he likes. Yeah. And we see that wonderful scene, but with Coffee and Priscilla. It's just amazing, and Priscilla's talking about Vitroni and and, and and things like that. Like, I love that moment, particularly... Oh, that was great. Yeah, particularly because Carol Locatell is fantastic. Mm, like, she's great. I think she's one of the best performers in that film. And yeah. apparently playing against type it was a type of character that she'd never played before. And my goodness, this is why you should, directors, listen to me. 
cast actors against type because they've got so much in the bank, <laughs> right, to do. And I love that scene. But she's talking about her relationship with these different people in the underworld as well. But then we've got Coffee Alone with Petroni. And she's got the gun hidden in that plush lion toy. And he's using language to her. He's being quite dehumanizing towards her. So I think that Mm. there's that, I guess, wonderful contradiction about him. Because you're right, Kendall and and Ash and everyone. He's he's unassuming. He does not look scary at all. Especially his henchman tower above him. But there's this wave of power about him. And maybe that's what makes him fearful, not because of him himself, but because of the power he holds. And there's that little tease as well, because we've got Omar and the cowboy who attack Carter at the beginning. So they see Coffee there at that house. And then Cowboy recognizes Coffee during the guacamole fight. And Mm. it's drawn out. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where that's going to go. And we pause on that. And then Coffee visits Vitroni. She's heading up the stairs. The cowboy's there in the lobby. And it's he and Omar who then come to Vitroni's rescue. It's teased out so beautifully. And again, yeah. perhaps this is why Vitroni is you know, such a great villain, for lack of a better term, I suppose. Because he is so unassuming. He looks like you could, you know, you a strong breeze could knock him over, let's be honest. But there's just so much power and money and strength behind him. So, yeah, it's in- it's interesting. You're right, because he's easily dismissed. Maybe that's what makes him so scary. I don't <laughs> know. It's, yeah. Philip, what did you think about Vitroni as the bad guy? So, his, the actor who plays him is Sid, the psychologist from MASH. So, oh, I, yes, that's right. I yes. got really yes. distracted at first. Ah. Yes. But I think he was very well played. He... Again, just like you've said, for the for the role that uh, he was, he was. I think Alan Arbus did an amazing job. Yeah, but I I, I still just sort of I, I'm, I think I'm a little bit with Ash on this. It was just it was just funny. He was it was just funny that scene in the pool where he's like, "Yeah, I'll give you a million bucks." It's just <laughs> oh. I, I, I really swung far too wildly with this movie between it trying to be serious and edgy and oh look, look at all the nudity and the the gore and and then just this wild humor which just it was good but it just it, it, it kept me off off balance in the wrong and right way i don't know <laughs> yeah no that's fine well a bit of context with coffee it was made at a time before the term black exploitation had been coined or even in common usage and films like this were just referred to as black films and it's a type of movie that actually still got criticisms for its violence and it was an r-rated movie in the american rating system so the equivalent of about an m or an ma in australia and it almost got an x certificate for one of the scenes that had to be trimmed down. So thinking about some of the more confronting scenes, I suppose, in this movie, does anybody want to have a guess at what scene had to be trimmed down so the film was not rated X? 
Oh, oh, that's a good question. Mm. I don't know. I feel like, you know what it's, I think I find is funny, actually, is the fact that a film with so much nudity, there are, like, no proper sex scenes. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just find that really interesting. Was that it? Was it, really the, sure. was it the sex scene between Howard and Coffee? Well, I, I oh, was so going to say... Philip, that's your guess. Yeah. Ash, what are you thinking? The bit that I was talking about before when the, the lady's on the phone trying to talk to the guy. <laughs> the prostitute okay. scene. Yeah. Yeah, that, okay. Language-wise, that could be quite confronting. Yeah, and Kendall, did you have maybe a final final thought, or it's uh, a bit vague? No, I don't. I I am very vague. I, I don't know. There is a lot of scenes for me. I think in this film that if they had been slightly extended in certain directions, could have garnered this X rating. But I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Phil. Agree with Phil and say it's gonna be something small. It. It's gonna be something stupid and small. And you're like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> It is. It is. All right, Wayne, put Phil, us out of our misery. Phil, I just, I, I love how you, like, you know, stand by a statement oh. and then, like, backtrack <laughs> from it and be like, it was an impossible question. None of us would be able to get it oh, anyway. Wayne, probably, why are you putting you, us... You'll probably find that they, they actually had two N-words dropped and they're like, oh, you can only have one. It was like, oh, so the sex is fine. Sorry, go on. Put us out of the misery. <laughs> no, not a problem. Well, you did allude in terms of, say, nudity and sex. So they knew, going straight into it, that you could not show full frontal nudity uh, because that automatically is an X certificate. So full frontal below the waist. So that was never on the table. Okay. At the beginning of the film, we see that coffee is a nurse and she goes into the theater where this person is badly injured and we can see blood all over his chest and so forth in the original scene he is convulsing a little bit oh and the censors said you need to cut out that convulsing or you will get an x certificate see you guys are all freaking out and i'm sitting here like yep that i would not like to see that Uh, so when, when you do consider, you know, the, the level of nudity, the type of language that it uses, the fact that it refers to a lesbian relationship with Priscilla and yeah. Harriet, the amount of drugs that are used, the fact that just before that we had someone's head blown off. Yeah. Convulsing on a, a table in the theatre was a no-no. So I found that That's... really interesting. Yeah. You guys laughed. I was being serious. I, 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 I find that to be a whole lot more confronting than anything else that mm. took place in that movie. It was a, a man wow. covered in blood, convulsing, unable to do... Like, yeah. you don't yeah. know where that's going to go. No, that's fair. No, this is true. That's this is true. Fair. I mean, it would have probably added more tension to that scene because yeah. before coffee goes in, there's a nurse who's so new and can't deal, so she's kicked out. Coffee's obviously had a traumatic experience, so she's not concentrating. The doctor is stressing out. Would have added more, but I guess the yeah. overall vibe of the film didn't really rely yeah. on that one yeah. particular <laughs> scene. No. But in saying that, the film still got criticisms for its use of violence, which is interesting because for an exploitation movie, for a black exploitation movie, this film doesn't feature a lot of sex and violence compared to what was typical Mm. of the genre or or, or the tropes within the genre, because, again, Jack Hill wanted to focus on the characters. And we've had a bit of a discussion and can't really agree (laughs) with one another on how successful he was with that. Again, you probably see it more on repeated viewings. But in terms of the overall representation of the characters, of the communities. What did we think about how black characters and white characters were represented in this film? 
Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I I think this must have been an incredibly progressive film for its time. Mm. Because, I mean, for one, you've got a, a black female lead and she's you know kicking ass, taking names, and she's a nurse to boot. Mm. Like, she's not... She's, she's in a legitimate profession and you see that she's, like, a caring considerate loving kind of person and then just you know you cross her and you get you get the wrath um (laughs) of coffee yeah and it's and it's great so i feel like in terms of black representation especially black female representation i think it's fantastic Mm -hmm. this movie but it's so interesting because i when because i didn't realize jack hill was was caucasian i had Mm. no idea i just assumed probably wrongfully of me i shouldn't do that but like it's just so fascinating that the way the film is set up with, you know, the white white characters mostly being the villains and then, you know, the black characters are, are the, the sympathetic, the heroes, the protagonists of the story. And it, it's awesome. I don't think I don't think this, there, there aren't really, really too many stereotypes, I think, in this in this film in terms of like negative stereotypes. Really? Mm. I mean, I just I think I mean, the point of the film is to really elevate black culture and black empowerment um, mm-hmm. through these characters even though you know you have a villain who is who is black like Howard obviously mm. but even he doesn't come across as uh, you know he kind of comes across as like a, the kind of black men that black people tend to in, in culture anyway tend to frown upon like he's very well to do well spoken he, he comes across as like uh, he he has a Caucasianness to him. I don't know if I'm I, I'm allowed to say that, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like mm. he just he's he's different from all of the other black characters in the film. Yeah, he's from a different socioeconomic background. I feel and is yeah. more well educated because you're right. He he doesn't use a lot of slang that is synonymous with the black culture that we're seeing in this film because he has to yeah. appeal to a broader predominantly white community and so he carries that through and coffee does acknowledge that by at the end when she's saying about the way that he talks the way that he's persuasive that sort of emphasizes her struggle with with um shooting him i suppose yeah 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 and i'm thinking like maybe that was part of the reason why that that's infused into his character and why he's the villain of the pieces because of you know he kind of represents while well, he he claims to represent the black community mm. but he doesn't and it's you see it in his actions and in how he carries himself as a character and i i just found that really in terms of representation of race i found that really really interesting yeah mm. ash did you have any thoughts on this on the representation in the movie mm-hmm. i felt that it was handled quite well uh in a lot of the black exploitation movies that i've seen I kind of feel like the characters in it are kind of caricatures of black people and black culture, especially mm-hmm. at that time. Like, it's kind of hammed up, like, almost for comedic purposes. Almost, not quite, but almost. And it, that was not done in this movie. I did not hear the phrase jive turkey once. And <laughs> so That's a good rule of thumb. I did hear jiving. King George mm, said jiving once. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. There's some great use of language here, yeah. isn't there, from, mm. the, yeah. from the black yeah. characters? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not the the caricature style stuff that I was just speaking about, like jab turkey, all that. It wasn't like that. It felt mm. like yeah. natural how the how people were speaking there. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. With like, there are no negative stereotypes in this film. It's exactly that. Like, yeah, it's great. I feel if there are stereotypes, it's stereotypes of people's jobs. 
Yeah. Mm. So it's not of their race. Yeah, okay. So, for example, King George is a caricature of a pimp, is not mm. a caricature of being African-American, if anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. You're absolutely right. And in terms of the representations here, one of the things that I do like is that we do see, I guess, quite a neutral representation. We've got black characters and white characters mixed and mingling. We've got cops who are black and white. We've got drug dealers who are black and white. People who enjoy prostitutes of, of, of different races. There's something quite neutral about the representation. And so then when we've got strong black characters, they stand out even more because they're sort of rising above this. And there's some wonderful moments where you've got the black characters humiliating white characters, especially men get humiliated here because they're so drawn to coffee, especially uh, because she Mm -hmm. is so beautiful. And she uses her sexuality as a weapon. She uses that to her advantage because there is that history of white men exploiting black women for sex and she turns that around and subverts that and that's where she finds her power as well one of the things that jack hill has said is that pam greer did not have a problem with doing nudity or scenes like that she was confident and she you know loved the way her body looked and was happy to show that off and i think that confidence really does show in coffee when she has to commit to those moments of seducing i suppose and distracting these guys so she can reach that objective as well it's so wonderful to see a strong black woman as the lead and this was made in 1973 four decades on more than four decades on i'm struggling to think of many movies that have strong black female Mm. leads and i think we can't take the significance of that away from this film it enjoys such a wonderful legacy in the fact that it did catapult pam greer to stardom and she has remained an icon of cinema for not only this reason, but a lot of other wonderful roles that she has played. Like, what a wonderful inspiration for other black women, especially, I think. And I think just elevating the representation of women in general, that yeah. you, you can be strong. And the fact is that she isn't two-dimensional. She is conflicted. She does feel like, you know, this isn't something I want to do, but I feel like I'm compelled to do it. She talks briefly about her family history, that her other sister is a prostitute, and that her brother is a drug addict. So Lubelle was like the last saving grace because she wanted to do something positive. Uh, you know, she was giving her money, but it ended up going to drugs and so forth. I don't know. I feel like there's this real genuine place that coffee is coming from. And it subverts the angry black woman stereotype that is unfortunately still prevalent in media today. Mm-hmm. This is nothing like that. This comes from no. a genuine good place and i think that that's some of the appeal and magic for me in low budget exploitation movies this particular film was shot in 18 days no time to rehearse not much time for 18 days yes that's insane yeah absolutely and we've talked about as well the limited resources they had on hand a little bit of trivia that i came across the actor who plays the the cowboy who, uh, you know, is one of the henchmen there. You'll notice that he disappears towards the end of the movie. 
Mm. And that's because the actor himself was having some poor health (laughs) due to hepatitis. And instead of shutting down production, he just had to leave. And so then we've got the police officer, who's crooked, so Nick, replaces him (laughs) in the final act with Omar. So that's why Nick Ah. comes into prominence towards the end. But it's done so seamless because it then enforces the crooked nature of these cops. And it makes sense that he's there as well. But Jack Hill had to work on the fly with this. He had to plan in advance. Budget restraints meant that he couldn't make some of the action sequences as elaborate as he wanted to. You know, he had to trust his cast and he did. And he had to use clever techniques to do a lot of shorthand in storytelling So there's some wonderful moments there as well. Kendall, you're a literature expert. (laughs) You are just one of those well-read people and knowledgeable people um, here. But, you know, Jack Hill refers to other forms of literature as well. When Coffee is in Vitroni's house and that's when Howard and her make eye contact there because let's get to the bottom of this. And Vitroni's like, don't look at him, look at me straight from the crucible and the final confrontation between Howard and coffee Jack Hill's direction to Brooker Bradshaw, who is a Shakespearean actor in training and has done Shakespearean theater before this said, look, this confrontation is right from Richard the third. And that was the direction that he had and went with it. So, again, I think that even though this film seems rushed, if you will, because, hey, we've we've got to compete now against Cleopatra Jones (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) we're not making it. So now we have to make a movie to counteract it. I just think that what Jack Hill has turned out is absolutely phenomenal. Also, as a side note... This movie played in drive through theatres. It had a limited release and audiences absolutely loved it, honked their horns at certain moments. It then got a bit <laughs> of a wider release and ended up being number one at the box office for a while. Half a million dollar <laughs> budget, $2 million returns in North America yes. alone. And yes, it outperformed Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> the studio <laughs> got their revenge. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was loved by audiences then. It remains a, a cult favourite now. But, Kendall, your final thoughts and a score out of five. Ooh, okay. All right. It's that time. Yeah, okay. After this discussion, I think I really love this movie more now because there is so much more to it than face value. There is so much more going on under this, this entire thing that, yeah, just really, I think, it now has just analyzing this film for the last hour and a bit has really made me consider it more as just, I don't know, obviously groundbreaking, but like just, just a really well thought out. And the fact that it's, it was only shot over 18 days is just mind boggling, but to present something like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, there's parts where it, it may be, maybe rushed, you know, obviously it's a very fast paced film. It's only 90 minutes long, but the fact that they were able to put this together and over <laughs> not even three weeks and and here we are nearly 50 years later having this discussion about it and being able to bring all of these different elements out from the script, out from the story, out from these characters is just a testament to Jack Hill as a director, is a testament to the cast and crew, I think, of this film. Like, yeah, this is this is awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, so it's not, like I said earlier, it's not a perfect film. It's not a great film by any means, but it is so enjoyable. There is so much to love. Pam Grier is just an absolute icon, and I've, I've always been a fan of her. And yeah, I mean, it was really, really great to finally see her in this film being such uh, a wonderful female lead. And it's insane to even imagine what cinema would look like without coffee and without her being this big step forward for uh for representation for not not like you said Wayne not just not just black people but for black women for women in general like it's it's amazing like it's so progressive for 1973 and they shot it in 18 days it's just yeah it's just it's just crazy I'm very very impressed but um yeah I mean I just really I really would have loved I have to just go back to my point of like I really would have loved just a few extra scenes because I feel like there's so much potential for this story, for these characters to be elevated even further. I mean, we do get great work character-wise from Coffee, from King George. You know, we could have had some more with Howard, I think, as well. But, but, and you know, and Priscilla is fantastic. I would have loved another scene with Priscilla, uh, especially if we get to see Harriet pose in the doorway like that again, because that was just phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just really think if we'd had like an extra 10, 15 minutes on this runtime, if they were able to have done that, it really could have elevated this film from where it is to something actually even greater, because it is, it is so good as it is. But I just, yeah, I would have loved a little bit of extra a bit of extra time if they could have spent on on really elevating this film. If I have to give it a score out on five, I'm going to go with a three, I think. Three out of five from me. Ash, what are your final thoughts on Coffee? It was a pretty good movie in terms of entertainment value. That alone would give it a four or five out of five. (laughs) But I do feel like at, at times it was trying to take itself a little bit too seriously for kind of what it was. And it didn't really didn't really work for me. So uh, two out of five from me. Good movie, but um, good good ideas. Um, just the the execution was a bit off. I guess would be the best way to put it. And Philip, what were your thoughts and a final score? My first viewing of this uh, would have given it a low score. Having talked about it and found out some of the background stuff, my view of it has actually risen substantially. But. As I think I've said in the past, you shouldn't have to do homework to enjoy a film. So I'm sort of a little bit torn because if just on its viewing by itself, I'd probably give it like a, a maybe a two to three. Knowing all the stuff that I know now, I'd probably give it a four. For that reason, I'm going to give it a three just because, again, you shouldn't have to do homework to enjoy a film. But end of the day... It was enjoyable, knowing a lot of its background now, it is superbly made for its budget, its time, its era, and definitely one of the things that I could highlight through it is the performances, especially Pam Greer as Coffee, she did an amazing job, and I really think that, to be honest, a movie similar to this, again, maybe not with so much stuff but a movie similar to this is probably well overdue wayne your thoughts yes i absolutely agree with you philip that you shouldn't have to do homework to understand or appreciate a movie it should stand strong on its own 
Lucky for me that Jack Hill's coffee absolutely does that. And the reason why it does that is because I absolutely love the genre of exploitation films and I love the subgenres that come with it. So ones we've spoken about, for example, like Ozploitation movies and one that this belongs in, Blaxploitation movies. So when you accept the genre that it's intended audience, the messages behind it, because all genres fall into certain tropes. That's how we know what genre they belong to. So you expect and accept certain things. This movie does not disappoint in any way in terms of those expectations. If anything, it is probably elevated because there is a bit more focus on character here. And we've got some solid performances here and some really likable actors. Pam Greer, the name alone just just says it, so I don't really need to emphasize how incredibly <laughs> wonderful Pam Greer is. She is such an engaging mm. performer. She looks beautiful, but she is always sympathetic. She's strong, and you believe it. She's vulnerable, and you believe it as well. Wonderful. Yeah. Brooker Bradshaw as Howard, absolutely wonderful. Complex, yes, and not fully explored as much as he could be, but what he does is just incredible. Robert Dokey. Oh my gosh, I think the greatest pimp that has ever appeared on screen. There's that Mm -hmm. complexity that I'm after, and there's that complexity that I really like. It's great to see Carter, a cop who is for the law, is not crooked, and is actually really sweet. What a wonderful depiction of masculinity Mm. played by Mm. William Elliot. Again, you don't really get a lot of black males who are portrayed as sweet and sensitive, especially in the world that this movie is set in. Alan Arbus as Vitroni is both comical and sinister at the same time. And I actually think it's the actor who really brings a lot of that out because, as we've said before, he's quite easily dismissed as a villain here. But still really well played. Sid Haig... Again, one of the best henchmen that I think we could ever ask for. And yeah, and I just, and you can tell he has fun with the role. He's worked with Jack Hill before, I believe, and definitely with mm. Pam Greer. And you can just see the confidence in that performance. One of the highlights for me was Carol Locatel as Priscilla. That scene was one of my favorites where she's confronted by Coffee for details about where the drugs are kept. And a shout out to Linda Haynes as well as Meg King George's girlfriend. I love that her jealousy starts what is one of the greatest <laughs> fights in the history of cinema. <laughs> that cannot be denied. Another thing that we have to thank this movie for is that it influenced one of my all-time favourite directors, and that's Mr. Quentin Tarantino. You don't get Quentin Tarantino movies without coffee. It's impossible. It it does not happen. So (laughs) for that, I will be forever grateful. On a side note, before I do go to my final score, if you love this serving of coffee, there's more, because a sequel was put into production and released 11 months later. And some of the things had to be changed because sequels weren't doing so well. So they just changed the name of the character and changed the name of the movie to Foxy Brown. And Oh, no way. If you think that Coffee has some of its insane and intense moments, <laughs> of course, Jack Hill and Pam Greer return to up the ante once more. But in terms of Coffee... Absolutely so much fun and is such a great movie. Four out of five from me. Nice. So, Philip, what are we reviewing next time? Well, we are going to review 
a movie that is a remake of a movie that I loved as a child. We are reviewing 2020's remake of Doctor Doolittle. Oh. Oh my god. Oh my god. I Oh my god. I I was really hoping you guys would do this. That's great. Well, Phil, yes. well Philip Ash and I don't need to say anything because Kendall has said yeah. it all. <laughs> so, until next time, I've been a Wayne Stellini. I've been a Kendall Richardson. I've been an Ashley Hall. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And you've just experienced Fred Watch. Music! Oh, shut up, Philip. We'll sick, we'll sick coffee on you. Absolutely. Get them razor blades and that bobby pin. Yeah. I got bobby pins, I'm coming. <laughs> and scene. Blooper reel. 2018 drama by the name of Beautiful Boy, starring Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, based on. It's about me. About, about you. Mm-hmm. About you. Um. It's based on uh, a true story. (laughs) Sounds like fun. (laughs) Derp. Sorry. And Wayne, habit. Don't sigh at me. (laughs) I was swatching over from my tab from the 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 Wikipedia page just because of that. And I was just coming over, and I was like, oh, there we are. Don't <laughs> sigh at me. So I, I, th- I didn't think that really happened, to be honest. I was like, <laughs> that was just all in my head. <laughs> yeah, Ash, and most people wouldn't just make a deal about it. They'd take a, they'd take a beat and then just continue. Yeah. <laughs> most people. Wayne, how long have we been working together? To be honest, I thought it was you that sighed at me. I did sigh at you. Yes. Oh, well, there you go! <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> when Coffee drove the car through the the cabin and the the one-eyed face the one-eyed face, the one-eyed man's face as he died was hysterical. But to me that wasn't looked at that was almost looked at as a <sighs> So now we've got a studio. Sorry, I'll just wait for Gypsy to move. Apologies. <laughs> the producer is then said to Jack Hill, "You're direct. Uh, you know, make whatever move you want to make. Just make sure. Just she acknowledges it and says, you know, you could talk into talk it, talk yourself out of anything." I love that particular moment, particularly. Oh, that was great. Yeah, particularly because Carol. Uh, sorry. For the role that uh, he was, he was. I think um, Alan. Oh, I'm sorry, Arbus. Alan yeah. Arbus. Yeah. I think Alan. Sorry, I'll give it a beat. It was made before the term black exploitation <sighs> had really been in common usage. That's fair enough. No, no ooh, sorry. I'll start that again. Mm-hmm. I feel if they're 
are stereotypes. It's stereotypes of people's jobs. Yeah. Mm. So it's not of their race. Yeah, okay. So, for example, uh, King... Oh, fuck. King Richard. King Richard. King George. That's why I'm throwing... <laughs> Kendall, you're a, um, a literary... And Philip, what were your thoughts and a final score? So, I feel that it was through... I'm going to start again. So, my first viewing of this film would give this film a low score. I'm going to start one more time, sorry. And... Oh, no way. If you think that coffee has some of its insane and intense moment, (laughs) of course, Jack Hill and Pam Greer return to up the ante once more. But in terms of coffee... Absolutely so much fun and is such a great movie. Four out of five from me. Nice. Excuse me, because Gypsy is meowing at me. Yeah. <laughs> Gypsy, we've got, Gypsy, we've got you on my final recording. Yay. You made a cameo yet again. <laughs> this is like, Daddy, it's almost midday. Uncle Ash has to go. What are you doing? <laughs> But we got there. Okay, sorry, Phil, I'm going to go to you, okay, mate? It's all right. It's funny, because I actually um, was saying to Kirsten last night that this felt mm. like a, a Quentin Tarantino meets Benny Hill. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and if you ever see, um, like, Stanley Kubrick and how he handles sex scenes, there's a bit of Kubrick in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, Kubrick Kubrick directs sex scenes the way that Jack Hill directs fight scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, you're just kind of like, okay. Um, All right. Focus, focus. (laughs) So, Philip, what are we reviewing next time? Well, we are coming to... We are going to... We are reviewing 2020's American Fantasy... No, that's not right. We're reviewing 2020... One more time. 